and uh, you tell me what the, uh, the sound quality is like. So I found a new guru. I've been listening to all these talks by a bloke named Chaim from uh, Sexaholics Anonymous and he's great man. He, I think he's like a Lakewood Yeshiva Bacher. Uh, it means a, a Talmud student who lives in, sounds like he lives in Lakewood, New Jersey. And there are all these Sexaholics Anonymous podcasts of him on the Daily Reprieve. And it's really good stuff. I mean, I totally identify with this. Okay, let's see. There's always a reason why this fellowship sucks. Right, there's always a reason why the boss sucks, why work sucks, why your spouse sucks. I mean, that's, that's so true. He's got lots of great points. He talks about how your image of God is going to shape how you become. So my image of God tends to be distant, remote, delivering karma to those who deserve it. And that's kind of how I am. I'm distant, remote, delivering karma to those who deserve it. He talks about how, hey, if your ideas are working for you, then just keep following your, your ideas. And if they're working, then keep doing it. So, I saw this great tweet the other day. It says, if you're not satisfied with where you are in life, then in all likelihood, there are all sorts of things that you believe that are not true. But, oh, wow. So, I'm 50% dissatisfied with where I am in life. So, probably 50% of my beliefs are not serving me. So, he's also got another perspective about a belief or a practice. Like, is that helping to keep you sober? I think that is so profound. Right? Is, is that belief helping to keep you sober? Or is that practice? Is that ritual? Is that person in your life? Is that activity? Is that approach helping to keep you sober? So checking out Facebook when you're at work, is that helping to keep you sober in Under Owners Anonymous? Man, there is some um, heavy waves out there. Surf is up. Right? I'm on the way to Bondi Beach. So, don't know how long I'm going to be after last year. Tell me about the sound quality. Is it absolutely awful because of the wind? I'm trying to find a cleft in the rock. In a powerful shame meeting, could it be a source of depression if I didn't come to believe? If I'm not sitting here humble, willing to learn? If I'm not open minded to the messages that recovery really has to offer? That is step two. Come to believe in a power greater than myself. The second realization of step two is that, you know who I believed in my whole life? Myself. That's why I need to come to believe in a power greater than myself. You know something? My parents failed me. The school system failed me. Life failed me. This wife wasn't even supposed to be the wife that I meant to marry. My kids failed. My finances failed. You know something? After the whole world, I got control. I'm listening to no one. So he tells a great story about going to a coffee shop and becoming absolutely entranced by a woman. And he's just fixated on her. And he's thinking about, why did I marry the woman I married? Like, how can I marry this woman? And then she turns around and waves at him. And he realizes the woman he's fixated on, the woman he's perving on, is his own wife. <laughs> I love that story. I got this. For once and for all, I'm bored. And you know something? And when I take control, I can prove to you I I have I have good things in my life. 
given a power greater than ourself. We gotta get rid of self. That's the whole coming to believe. The whole problem of, of me is I'm so self-absorbed with self. My masturbation gives the finger to my wife and children, the porn, the stripper clubs, the massage parlor. I don't give a crap, it's all about me. And okay, this is coming from a sexaholic who's a yeshiva bakker, yeshiva student, like a highly observant Orthodox Jew, and his life is just being torn apart by a sex addiction. I'll tell you what I mean by coming to believe. So it's the holiday season of Hanukkah. Now I'm a Jewish boy. 13 years ago was when my wife got disclosure uh, around this time of what my acting out behaviors are. So she started to get semi-what disclosure. Um, my rituals would basically be I would learn all day and watch porn and masturbate or went to a strip club. I would feel so guilty and shameful. So he's learning Talmud all day in a yeshiva in Lakewood with some very, very holy people, right? So he's learning Talmud all day with holy rabbis in a holy community. Whoa! <laughs> and uh, he can't stay sober. Like he's, he's then acting out at night going to strip clubs. like a rabbi's talk on, on the, the purity of the soul and how you shouldn't be doing this and the holiday season represents purity and what you're doing. So this kind of mirrors my life. Like I was observing Orthodox Judaism, I was studying Torah hours a day, and then I was acting out in crazy ways sexually. So, you know, one impetus for me to convert to Judaism was I thought, ah, oh, this is a disciplined, holy way of life that would be really good for me. It's just the kind of discipline I need to you know, overcome my selfish, lustful side. You know, this will help me get a handle on my you know, crazy, wild sexual impulses. Uh, religion didn't do it for me. Impure. So I would go to ritual waters, and after that I would come home, and I would light the candles. And it just, um, a few nights ago when I was lighting, in the middle of the second row, I burst the toilet. lighting she like walked out she was in the, the other room and uh, i lit the candles and i was in a, such a state of misery i'm holding like my baby in the hand i have another kid like sitting there dancing he's all happy and i know i'm gonna be here by the next candle lighting for my purpose i'm getting divorced because i can't stop because my wife already knew that i was having problems and i was still doing it. i could not stop the definition of powerlessness Over the Hanukkah the flames. The of the flames may resonate into my pupils of my eyes and pure my soul. And, and it, it, at the point that it started to hurt, I just like bounced back basically and did that a few times. Every one of us know in our heart our old way of believing. This guy's fair dinkum, man. Hi, I'm from Lakewood. 
on the Daily Reprieve podcast, right? He's a Lakewood Yeshiva student with an out-of-control sex life. I needed to eradicate any of that. Any of that old ideas. Now, some of it, this is like a radical example, but some of it is pure and beautiful. There's nothing wrong with the pun. Keflon's technically put our higher power and pray and center myself and be spiritual. What's wrong with that? You know something? I have no idea. But I need... Severe cardio is the beginning of fixing all personal problems. Interesting. Okay, so I'm sure for many people that's absolutely correct. And then what, uh, what helps another person get to recovery is yoga, and another person is church, and another person is synagogue. All right, maybe there are different horses for different courses. It's come to a place that my sponsor comes before that. I needed to come to a place that my program comes before that. I need to ask myself if I'm in program this long and it ain't working, maybe it's time to just take direction. Or maybe it's just time to say, hey, you know something? I don't know. It's coming to believe. Maybe my ideas of, of praying for, for a half an hour out here, it, maybe I should restructure that, maybe pray for five, ten minutes and grab a big... So I have spent thousands of hours davening, praying. And I gotta be honest, it hasn't really done much for me, right? Uh, I needed, I needed something else. I needed a different path, I needed a different road to God. So I like twelve-step meetings. It's like God with skin on it for other people. It's getting out into nature, being a triathlete. I'm sure there are there are many paths. You're a cancer patient and you're in the hospital and you need treatment and there's a lot of doctors around that you can ask them questions. Maybe these old ideas don't work. Maybe for other people it does, but for me it doesn't. Maybe the idea of I'm right doesn't work anymore. Maybe when the old timers say that that the facts on the ground, this is, this is evidence, right? If you take the 10 guys of, of the Lakewood Fellowship from 200 people, you take the 10 guys that are sober the longest, maybe even 20 by now. So he's talking about Lakewood, all right? Very orthodox, traditional orthodox community in New Jersey. He's talking about 200 guys there belonging to Sexaholics Anonymous. Right? You might think with all that Torah observance, they wouldn't need it. You, you ask them what did they do for their recovery? Right? You want to become wealthy, you go to the top 20 guys that are wealthy, right? They each came to a meeting a day, every day, on time, and got through the 12 steps and worked the program like the life depends on it. They put their entire life on hold. Finances, marriage, children, vacation, trips, and all. I got a phone call this week from a guy who was in program for eight months. I can't get it. I can't get it. I'm out there. I'm acting out terrible. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Help, Chaim. I don't know what to do. And then that guy took his family to a trip for vacation for the holiday season. Now, technically, what's wrong? The beautiful is taking his family home. Yes, Brandon, if you need a group to dig your way out, you lack result. Yes, you do. 
Absolutely. And for many people, the most effective way to get resolved, to do the things they need to do, is to get communal support. Other people may not need that, right? But some people need communal support. And people who need people, the happiest people in the world. Wait, wait, what's wrong, Jaime? You're so mean, what's the problem? I don't know, my sponsor told me, here, don't go anywhere but to a meeting. You're that sick. We're going in your car, you know where you go? To a meeting. Remember when I was sober for eight months, um, I called my sponsor, I was on the computer, I was booking tickets to Israel. I was dying to go to Israel. I had this whole thing in my head. I'm going to make amends to my wife at the at the Western Wall. I had like the, you know what I mean? I'm still like in Hollywood, like if she gives a shit, you know? <laughs> and I'm like all like, you know, gazed up. And I'm on the phone with my sponsor. My credit card is already in the system. The only thing I need to do is press send. And my sponsor says, maybe in a few months from now. Now's not the time. You're your first year of recovery. Oh, it's getting the closer. The old timers told us you don't have children the first year in recovery. You don't pregnant your wife. You don't do anything that can rattle the ship. So what do I do? I remember asking the whole time, those guys were so with them for 10, 15, 20 years. So what do I do? They go, you go to another meeting. And then... Okay, so have you noticed how left-wing Scientific American has got? I better go to the subject topic, right? Scientific American's got super work. So let me get to moral injury. Guys, it's an ep invisible epidemic, right? You even aware of the, the epidemic of moral injury? It's an invisible epidemic. It's hurting millions of people, guys. Moral injury is an invisible epidemic affecting millions. Moral injury results when a person's core principles are violated, such as during wartime or a pandemic, and it afflicts millions. Written by Elizabeth Svoboda for Scientific American. So, are you suffering from moral injury? You look like you might be suffering from moral injury. It's where your core beliefs are threatened because reality challenges them. I would think that if you suffer from moral injury, the best solution is to re-examine your beliefs. And if you're, I'm gonna get stuck here, I'm gonna get cut off by this surging ocean. Big surf here, next wave is gonna get me. But at least I'll go out live streaming. Just waiting for that big freak wave to carry me away. Meanwhile, I'm sitting in the dock of the bay. And I would think if you got moral injury, maybe you should re-examine. So moral injury is a way for institutions to push the guilt button, get money out of you. Bro, Narrated scientific American. This is science, guys. In early 2021, emergency room physician Tori McGowan hoped the worst of the pandemic was behind her. She and her colleagues had adapted to the COVID-causing virus, donning layers of protection before seeing each patient, but they'd managed to keep things running smoothly. The central Oregon region where McGowan lived, a high desert plateau ringed by snow-capped mountains, had largely escaped the first COVID waves that slammed areas such as New York City. Then the virus's Delta variant hit central Oregon with exponential fury, and the delicate balance McGowan had maintained came crashing down. Suddenly, COVID patients were streaming into the ERs and the hospitals where she worked, and she had to tell many patients she was powerless to help them because the few drugs she had didn't work in late stages of the disease. That feels really terrible, McGowan says. 
That's not what any of us signed up for. It wasn't just COVID patients McGowan couldn't help. It was also everyone else. People still approached a healthcare emergency with the expectation that they were going to be taken care of right away. But in the midst of the surge, there were no beds. And I don't have a helicopter that can fly you between my hospital and the next hospital, she says, because they're all full. A patient with suspected colon cancer showed up bleeding in the ER, and McGowan's inner impulses screamed that she needed to admit the woman immediately for testing. But because there were no beds left, she had to send the patient home instead. Okay, so it sounds very upsetting and trying. All right, uh, moral injury? I mean, I, I'm skeptical of these claims of, uh, of uh, moral injury. Maybe, maybe what this woman needs is narrative therapy. The next time you get sick and you're at the doctor's office, why don't you ask for some narrative therapy? That's where you get to reshape your narrative so that you can get healthy. I prescribe, Dr. Forty prescribes narrative therapy for sufferers of moral injury abandon her own standards and watch people suffer and die was hard enough for McGowan. Just as disorienting, though, was the sense that more and more patients no longer cared what happened to her or anyone else. Well, if that's, you know, really bothering you, then perhaps you need to re-examine your basic beliefs about human nature. Now, most people are selfish. Right? Most people don't care very much about others. Most people care primarily about themselves and their family. She'd assumed she and her patients played by the same basic rules. Well, that seems like a really stupid assumption. Like, why on earth would you have that assumption? And there's no evidence for that assumption. Come on, now. That she would try her utmost to help them get better, and that they would support her, or at least treat her humanely. But as the virus extended its reach, those relationships broke down. Unvaccinated COVID patients walked into the exam room maskless, against hospital policy. They cursed her out for telling them they had the virus. Okay, so if you're getting all upset because people aren't following hospital policy, uh, maybe you should re-examine your narratives about people and how they behave, right? People have their own rules, their own predilections. Like, here comes the waves. Here come the waves again. Okay, this could be a big one. All right? Maybe re-examine your understanding of human nature. Maybe human nature isn't basically good. Man, what is this going to do to my cheap Oppo phone? People are basically good. I've heard Whoa. so many people say, I don't care if I make someone sick and kill them, McGowan says. The ruthlessness simultaneously terrified and enraged her, not least because she had an immunocompromised husband at home. Okay. Hours and hours of continuing education. Time to get out of here. Every patient that I've ever made a mistake on, I can tell you every bit about that. And the thought that people are so callous with a life, when I place so much value on somebody's life, it's a lot to carry. Moral injury is a specific trauma that arises when people face situations that deeply violate their conscience or threaten their core values. Those who grapple with it, such as McGowan, can struggle with guilt, anger, and a consuming sense that they can't forgive themselves or others. The condition affects millions across many roles. 
In an atmosphere of rationed care, doctors must admit a few patients and turn many away. Soldiers kill... Okay. Let's see how I'm doing now. I have to scramble away. Let's see the live chat. Give me all the live chat that I've missed. She's arrogant enough to believe she's a good person without circumspection. Yeah. Is this about how you like going Cleveland? I don't know what a Cleveland steamer is, and I don't know what snowballing is. But uh, sinners confess. Uh, this is because I just listened to this article in Scientific American, and I found it interesting. Millions to complete assigned missions. Veterinarians must put animals down when no one steps up to adopt them. The trauma is far more widespread and devastating than most people realize. It's really clear to us that it is all over the place, says psychiatrist Wendy Dean, president and co-founder of the nonprofit Moral Injury of Healthcare. And wow. Did you even know there was a non-profit, the Moral Injury of Healthcare? It sounds like people need to get reacquainted with where do where does one end and the other person begin? Like I love you know, the people in the chat, but I understand that they are different individuals. They have their own agency, and uh, they have their own concerns and their own values. And I'm not responsible for their choices. They sell you the placebo cure of your guilt. <laughs> Carlisle, Pennsylvania. It's social workers, educators, lawyers. Survey studies in the U.S. report that more than half of K-12 professionals, including teachers, moderately or strongly agree that they have faced morally injurious situations involving others. Wait, doesn't everyone, by, by these categories, doesn't everyone suffer morally injurious situations whereby reality does not conform to your top-down models for how reality should work. I just don't see why doctors, healthcare professionals, and you know teachers are more vulnerable to this. Aren't we all suffering from moral injury? Similar studies in Europe show that about half of physicians have been exposed to potentially morally injurious events at high levels. Wait, is there anyone who hasn't been exposed to moral injury at high levels? Even these figures may be artificially low, given scant public awareness of moral injury. Many people... So I'm here to raise awareness. I suffered that at work today, moral injury. Is it true, Luke, you can get voluntary Kevorkian for madness in Canada now? I don't know, but there was a big right to die movement here in New South Wales. Yeah, life is one ongoing moral injury. People do not yet have the vocabulary to describe what is happening to them. Whatever... So I'm here to provide you guys with the vocabulary so that you can describe what is happening to you. And I'm here to empower you and to raise awareness of the great dangers of moral injury. The exact numbers, the mental health effects are vast. In a King's College London meta-analysis that surveyed 13 studies, moral injury predicted higher rates of depression. I am a legend in my own neurotic overthinking mind. Yes, I am. Is there anyone who is not? And suicidal impulses. When COVID swept the planet, the moral injury crisis became more pressing as ethically wrenching dilemmas became the new normal. Not just for healthcare workers. Aren't ethically wrenching dilemmas like just 
stuff that, that face people in, in daily life. Right? You've got a friend in need and a family member in need and you've got other commitments and you've only got limited time and resources and you can't meet all your commitments. I would think that ethically wrenching dilemmas are pretty common, not just for healthcare professionals and teachers. But for others in frontline roles, store employees had to risk their own safety and that of vulnerable family members to make a living. Lawyer. Wait, didn't a whole bunch of people have to risk their safety? I mean, if you drive to work, aren't you significantly risking your safety every day? Like the act of getting in a car and driving to work, like the longer your commute, you know, the more risk you're at. So the average person what, has a 30 minute, 40 minute, an hour long commute, you know, each way. They're risking their life to go to work. How is that any different? Often cannot meet clients in person, making it nearly impossible to represent those clients adequately. Wait, wait, wait. Most lawyers, many lawyers anyway, you know, are thrilled that they could no longer meet clients in person. And uh, not being able to meet a client in person doesn't interfere with your ability to represent their interests. Now, on what basis would you make such a, a statement? In such situations, no matter how hard you work, you're always going to be falling short. Says, well, that's true for everyone. No matter how hard you work on yourself, for others, you're always going to be falling short because we are human. Our resources are limited. Our energy is limited. Our time is limited. California Public Defender Jenny Andrews. Although moral injury doesn't yet have its own listing and diagnostic manuals, there is a growing consensus that it is a condition that is distinct from depression or post-traumatic stress disorder. That's outrageous, guys. Moral injury isn't in the DSM. What can we do as concerned citizens to get moral injury into the next edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual? PTSD. This consensus has given rise to treatments that aim to help people resolve long-standing ethical traumas. Maybe the easiest way to withstand you know, these ethical traumas is to accept reality and accept that people have their own values hierarchies and that they all make choices different from what you want. These treatments, vital additions to a broad range of trauma therapies, encourage people to face moral conflicts head-on. Yeah, narrative therapy. Dr. Forty prescribes narrative 40, narrative therapy for people suffering from severe moral injury. Other than blotting them out or explaining them away. And they emphasize the importance of community support and long-term recovery. Hey, this here is a community willing to offer you support for your long-term recovery from moral injury. In some cases, therapy clients even create plans to make amends for harms committed. Even if moral injury research is a young and growing field, scientists and clinicians already agree that a key step toward healing for morally injured people, whether in therapy or not, has to do with grasping the true nature of what they're facing. They're not hopeless, bad seeds, or uniquely irredeemable. They may not fit the criteria for PTSD or another mental illness. Instead, they're suffering from a severe disconnect between the moral principles they live by and the reality of what is happening or has happened. In moral injury, that sense of who you are as a person has been brought into question, Dean says. Wait, why? 
why is your sense of who you are brought into question because the world doesn't comport with your models of the world? I, I'm sorry, I'm just not finding terribly compelling this uh, narrative of moral injury. I think I want to go back to High MS, his step two workshop in Sexaholics Anonymous, Old Ideas, New Ideas. I mean, if you do more step work, you don't recognize how sick you are. I said, but what's going to be with my life? I said, you're going to have a life as a result of doing all this. The guy that goes to college for eight years and has no freaking clue how he's going to support his family during those eight years, he has a tunnel vision. I have no idea I'm supporting my family. Becoming a doctor, becoming a lawyer, becoming a whatever I'm becoming. I'll borrow, I'll figure it out. I have a game plan. After eight years, buddy, I'm making 250. That's it I care about. After I don't care about anything else, and I'm willing to suffer and work my head off to make it happen. This is the idea of this program was told to me. For the first year minimum. Right, we tend to suffer from you know, overdose of stimuli. We're not necessarily evolutionarily adapted to the present moment. And what's that called? Oh, forgetting the name of that uh, neurochemical that you, you get whenever you like, eat chocolate cake or you know, do something that immediately feels good. And dopamine nation. So the, the psychiatrist who wrote Dopamine Nation says, try to stay in a healthy balance. We need to do things that are painful, such as exercise and cold showers and what else did you, and uh, abstaining from stimuli, so going on dopamine fast. Yeah, dopamine fast. Here we go. This is the coming to believe. Coming to believe that this is not just a free-for-all, you can just come and go, and, and it is what it, it doesn't work. Not only that, even the people that have done it for the first year, and then stopped doing it, and all of a sudden the, the finances became the most important, all of a sudden their vacations became important, all of a sudden their image in the community became important, all those guys are out of here. Or here, and suffering like animals. Yeah, this is this is a real talk here. I am S, Sexaholics Anonymous on the Daily Reprieve podcast. Renovating homes and all. Love this. I can't talk. keep my zipper closed. What am I busy with? We know how sick we are. I mean, go into my brain a day. Every one of us. If I went into your brain a day, one day, one hour, and I saw what was going on, <laughs> it would be a scary sight. I'm no, this guy is not an underrunner. He's married with kids. He sounds like he's successful in business. Now, if you were in my mind for an hour, it wouldn't be scary. I mean, because I'm, I'm constantly doing things to fill my mind with, with positive stuff. So I don't think if you're in my mind for an hour or even for a day, I don't think it'd be scary. Like if you're walking beside me, I don't think it'd be scary. Cliff knows for the complete entirety of Luke Ford's thoughts and ideas, would be one blank page. Amen, brother. Amen. That's why I have to open myself up to good ideas from other people. Imagine your neighbor went into your brain while he's checking out his wife. So, I heard it said that if people knew what you were thinking, like nobody would be able to maintain even a single friendship. 
So in lots of areas, I'd be better off getting advice from, you know, a guy sitting on a rock by the ocean. Deep down, everybody is masking their own disgust of themselves. Yeah, I think for, for many of us, our deepest fear is being insignificant. Uh, I have another 12-step saying that, that uh, my mind is a dangerous neighborhood that I, I don't want to enter alone. So I leave, I leave audiobooks running all night. So as I go in and out of sleep, like instead of being alone with my thoughts, you know, I'm listening to some audiobook. I don't want to spend too much time in my thoughts. And step two is the starting point. My old life is over. If your old life is not over, buddy, you, you don't got a chance. The old me will act out. The new me won't. The old me that believes that God does punish for sin will act out. Now, that might be true. He might actually punish for sin. Yeah, this is a really interesting idea. Whatever your idea of God is, that's how you will become. So, my idea of God was strongly influenced by my fairly distant relationship with my father, so I tend to have a distant relationship with God, and I've kind of perpetuated that into my own life. Okay, how long till the ocean comes to get me here? You, you might, your brain might blow up if you masturbate one more time. It didn't the last four million times, but somehow this time it might. children with 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 eight legs if you act out again what do i think about the backlash against that school teacher who taught his class about ethnocentrism so i don't know anything about it i'm sure there are better and worse ways to talk about ethnocentrism and uh, depending what sort of class depending on what sort of pupils depending on their age depending on how he did it but yeah we all tend to you know identify with an in-group now, the in-group can be one of ethnicity, religion, social class, or you know, worldview. So liberalism is an in-group. It could be. It never happened before. We all thought that we're, our wives are going to die on, on the bed while they give birth. We all thought we're going to have children that have three heads. We all thought that. Never happened. But he is a punishing God, and he will, will, will hurt you. For your cardinal sin called masturbation and porn that your peril is over and you didn't have a choice to do. He's the devil. He... So I think every traditional way of life strongly condemns masturbation. Like, is there any traditional way of life that uh, doesn't? <laughs> I mean, from Christianity to Judaism to Islam. Uh, I don't know about Confucianism or Buddhism, but I suspect they're not really pro-masturbation. One thing I in recovery and in Judaism is that uh, you can't you can't masturbate and pray you can't have both masturbation and prayer going on in your life at the same time eventually one's going to conquer the other eventually your masturbation life is going to conquer your prayer life but your prayer life is going to conquer your masturbation life I think that's true I've been uh, no fap since June of 2013 you should be who will punish you I can't believe in that or I'm going to do it again 
You need to convince yourself to an innermost being and smash the old ideas. So when I come back from live streaming for an hour or two, my family keeps asking me, well, did you make any money? <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much. The teacher admitted he is ethnocentric, said what his idea of that is. Everyone feels their own ethnicity is superior. Then he was fired. That's sad, right? There are all sorts of basic truths about life that are uh, not very wise to raise publicly, particularly when you're a teacher of kids. So generally speaking, Jews are the group least likely to want to get, want to have teachers fired for saying things that are politically incorrect. So Jews tend to be the most pro-free speech of any group surveyed. And uh, the one group who a majority does not believe that uh, pornography should uh, be banned. And if I don't, I don't got a chance. I really don't have a chance. So what I do with my sponsees is very simple. It's a great exercise. Whoever, whoever wants to do it, it's a great, great exercise. It really helps tremendously to get rid of the old ideas. You make a line from top to bottom in the paper. Right on the left side, old. And on the right side, you write new. Yeah, that's a good idea when you think you've got better ideas than you used to have. And that's the time to write the old idea and then how you replace it with a new idea. So, yeah, so when my family asked me, oh, you know, you did all this live streaming today, how much money did you make? And I told them, it's, it's not about the money, it's about forming relationships with people exploring ideas we think more clearly when we think socially so I'm incentivized to study harder to think more clearly to speak more clearly by the idea that you know people come in the chat and shred what I'm saying or supplement what I'm saying or contradict what I'm saying provide evidence against what I'm saying so I like the process of thinking more clearly in a group and you write down your old ideas ideas might be something like I could come home when I want. It's my life. My old ideas might be, I listen to my sponsor in Guarding to Lust, but nothing else. Basically, whatever is going on in your brain is your old ideas, because you need a whole new pair. So whatever you believe in, it could be, your old ideas might be. So, yeah, if you're not where you want to be in life, it's in large part because many of the things you believe are wrong. Just love that insight. You're not where you want to be in life. So I'm a 56-year-old bachelor. Obviously, many of my beliefs about women and love and sex and dating are wrong. Uh, I never earned more than six figures in a year. So obviously, many of my ideas about earning and money are wrong. Like if you're failing in an area in life, probably in large part because many of your ideas about that area of life are wrong. So, I am S here, talking about replacing the old beliefs with new beliefs. I go to three meetings a week. The old ideas might be, Chaim doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Who is he to tell me what to do? Whatever your ideas might be, my ideas still come up for me and my sponsor doesn't know what the hell to do. If it's my brain that's telling me that, it goes on the old side. It's very simple. And then one by one, after you wrote it down, opposite, you come up with a whole new list.
list of new ideas. But coming to believe. If your old ideas really work, then why aren't you sober? Why are you still lusting? Why am I still arrogant and irresponsible? Why am I still um, having a hard time in this fellowship? And the question from the chat, is someone's making less than a million dollars a year, are their ideas about money wrong? No. But if you feel like you consistently under-earn, given your abilities and your intelligence, then, in all likelihood, many of your ideas about earning and money are wrong. So, if it's not a priority to you to earn a million dollars a year and you're not earning a million dollars a year, not a big deal. But if it's frustrating you, if it's killing you, that, uh, that you're not earning what you deserve, you're not earning enough to fulfill your adult responsibilities, you're not earning enough to create the life that you wish you were living, then, in all likelihood, there are some false beliefs that are operating in your life. No. Money is not the be-all and end-all of life, but it's really important. It's not something that's trivial. It's not number one in life, but it's not number five either. You're going to be a blessing to other people and meet your adult responsibilities. You need to earn a good living. The old me will act out. The new me won't. Yeah, quick question. What if these ideas are not my ideas? What if these ideas are... Beautiful question. So the question is, I keep saying old ideas. Very good. Appreciate that, man. I keep saying old ideas. Where did these old ideas come from? It was was given over to me by my teachers, by my parents, by my community, by my religion. It's not I created these ideas. So according to Mechig, you don't have to write old ideas. Any ideas that go on in my brain. So almost all of life's problems can be solved with money. Not all, but almost all. So come on, wouldn't you, if you had a daughter, wouldn't you rather, all things being equal, that she was married to someone who earned a good living? But if, if you have a sister, wouldn't you, overall you be prefer that she be married to someone who can earn a good living? Money can buy your way out of responsibilities and relationships that matter even more than money. Yeah, I just don't see that happening very often. Like in theory, yes. In theory, you're absolutely right. I just don't see that happening in the real world. Instead, I see people who are poor in the real world tend to make a lot of really bad decisions, tend to be arrogant, tend to suffer from a lack of relationships and lack of human connection, and to have some you know, debilitating addictions operating. Because he's right. This is the beauty of recovery. If he stood there with that answer, he dismissed everything I just said because of one fleeting thought in his brain. Some of my ideas, were you blaming it on me? Correct. Any ideas. My brain got me here through everything that I was taught on this world. My brain got me to sit in a in a in a <laughs> to sit in a in a little cube with another guy next to me while I'm masturbating and was so in my disease I couldn't even ask him to leave. while I'm slipping on the floor from things that are so slippery and disgusting called semen that you could die that human people don't step on that type of stuff alright I think we've all been there and we've all been in those you know gross booths you know, stimulating ourselves and there's another dude who joins us in the booth and, and you're simply so sick that you can't ask him to leave and you're slipping and sliding over 
you know, come stained floor. I mean, I think we've all been there, right? Human creatures, and it stinks like hell. <laughs> right? My ideas got me there. You know why? Because I dropped my kids off first, and I told my wife I'm not going to be home for an hour, so I'm, I'm honest. I'm responsible. What a mensch. Right? Honest and responsible. And I'm just taking care of myself right now. <laughs> what I do has nothing to do with you. He's practicing self-care. He's nurturing himself. And you didn't give me sex the night before. It's her fault. My ideas are like ideas like this. Like, I'll masturbate in order not to have sex with a prostitute. Those are my ideas. That's what I came, came from. Now, we're getting real, right? And the question is, is, is amazing. The, all these ideas came from how I was raised, how I was brought up, how I perceived the world, whether it was given to me or not. But this is the package that I have right now of ideas. This is my best thinking. This doesn't keep me sober. This convinces me that when my cleaning lady had happened a few days ago, I was walking around the house, my idea is like, how do I marry this girl? <laughs> how do you marry the, the Guatemalan cleaning lady? Like, that's where my brain goes. Why is it going there? I have no idea because I have a damaged brain. Somehow the new ideas are going to keep me sober. And these new ideas are the ideas that we, we communicate together with our sponsor. So we write down anything that's going on in our brain. And then this is the point. We come to believe. We question it. I find that so calming and so helpful is to sit down and write everything that I'm thinking about. Just write, write, write it out. I always feel calmer and clearer afterwards. We question it. Should I be putting in energy in my religion today when I have a, such a, well, when I know in the core of my being how addicted I am and how badly I need this? Old ideas. I'm not going to really communicate with my wife how sick I am, so I'm going to put on a show and go to prayers and learn because I want to keep her at bay. Bullshit. You want to have sex with her. And if you don't go to shul, you don't get laid. So I'm really acting out with her, and she's the cause of my acting out in my brain, as opposed to be honest and open with her. Old ideas, new ideas. I did the I did the steps six years ago when I was in this fellowship. Since then, I never looked at my steps. I never went through the steps with a sponsor. What is really going on? It's an opportunity to write it down. But to take it a step further is it's important with religion. It's not only ideas in my head of life. Primarily, God. What do I really, how do I really perceive God? I had this fascinating um, experience with a guy I was doing step two with. Yeah, I tend to have this distant relationship with God. I could definitely, definitely benefit from a closer, closer walk. Just a closer walk with the... So he wrote down the way he perceives God is somebody who's narcissistic, angry, judgmental, 
um, doesn't have patience. He's um, he's egotistic. He needs everything to go his way, right? And he created this world for his pleasure, for us to pleasure him. What ended up coming out from from doing the work together with him is basically we're God's prostitutes, right? He's like angry, lonely, hungry, or tired, or pissed off, or having a bad day. That's another great thing I learned from uh, 12 Step, is that uh, you're much more likely to act out if you get hungry, angry, lonely, tired, halt. Get hungry, angry, lonely, tired, halt, and uh, deal with that, right? So I used to think being moral was following rules and principles, and there's been an evolution in my thinking the last few years that the key to being moral is to stay, staying in a good state, you know, staying away from being hungry, angry, lonely, tired, aggrieved, resentful, you know, mad, late. Like when I run late, I tend to be much less empathic. So they did some experiment with uh, clergy in training, and they, they had them you know, go to a hall and uh, say how important it was to be on time. And as they were walking to this hall, they put you know, some very needy person in their path. And when the clergy felt like they were running late, they would tend to ignore the, the needy. So when I feel like I'm running late, I tend to have much less empathy, sensitivity towards other people. I tend to be much more transactional and uh, matter of fact in my dealings with others. Hey, hey, and we're gonna be his bitch. By the way, just that alone, you can understand why the guy acts out. Like, like, like just think about, and, and let's be honest, this is the way I feel, this is the way a lot of us feel. I need to get it right. If I don't get it right, I'm, I'm dead. I need to do this right. So, I'm going to finish up the step two with the. So, I'm on the walk from Kuji to Bondi, and then I'm heading towards Watson's Bay at the entrance to Sydney Harbour. Then maybe I'll even make it to Rose Bay. So I've got miles to go before I sleep. And I'm um, listening to Haim uh, from the, the Daily Reprieve podcast, just you know, keeping myself emotionally sober, even keeled as I walk along. And then I'll hit my Apple News Plus app, listen to some uh, news stories as audio stories. This idea. So I came, I asked him, I said, so then who's the devil if this is God? This is the key point. He said, if that is God, then I'm the devil. You don't hear Jews talking about the devil very much, right? There's not a, a Christian type of devil. There's no independent force outside of God. In, in the Jewish perspective, that would be a compromise with monotheism. But you can... You can use the vernacular, you can use the, the language of the land to try to communicate with people. Why am I the devil for? Because when a God who is so hating and so confusing and so egotistic and needs things to go his way, then he becomes so confused and angry, the guy himself, that he becomes the devil. I said, so if you're the devil now, I thought you said God was the devil. Isn't God, are you the devil or God is the devil? What ended up coming after the step work is it's very simple. The way I view God, that's who I become. 
Wow. So if God is the devil, I become the devil. That's such a powerful insight. The way I view God is how I become. I mean, it's such an obvious point, but I don't think I've thought about it that way. I said, quick go to a new column. Can you write how you would love God to be? He said, patience, understanding, knows the pain and trauma and confusion I went through, caring, gentle, kind, not angry, Sounds like understands Clark. I'm going to make mistakes. This is Elliot Clark. I said, now who are you? And only love. Sure be empaths like Elliot. The way we view God is who we become. If we're all loving and all kind and all gentle, we don't act out. Yeah, so I remember in psychotherapy, I kind of go in there kind of bouncing off the walls, you know, boasting about my exploits. And eventually I started to calm down and my therapist said, well, in this state you're in now, now, I think you'd be good at, uh, you know, connecting with a good woman. But I had to get off that, you know, hyper, bouncy, exploitative state. The, the state my mother calls the he-he. Right? I just find everything funny. I have to move beyond that to, to an Elliot Blatt level of empathy. But that's the purpose of step two as well. The way we view God is who we become, and who we become will cause whether we act out or not. You'll never go up to a guy after him acting out and saying, so how do you feel about yourself? I feel serene, I feel peaceful, I feel a sense of belonging and love. I feel a sense of God holding me and just embracing me. You know what the guy says if you ask him after he acted out, how do you feel? Fuck you. If I could drop the, the whole world, <laughs> that's the true. shit. That's true. That's the you know why? Because prior to him acting out, he felt about God that way. Doesn't give a crap about me. If he gave a crap about me, why would he do blankety blankety blank? Why? Why am I? Why am I? Blah, blah, blah? He hates me. Well, I got news for you. I hate him. Give the finger, and we go after that. Get to a place of creating a whole new God. Like I needed a whole new way of relating to God. I've been religious my whole life. I've been in church and synagogue my whole life. I you know, studied the Bible my whole life. I you know, read all these you know, dozens of works of uh, systematic theology. My dad used to give me the assignment of reading 40 pages of systematic theology every day and typing a one-page summary. I have lived a life immersed in religion, but wasn't getting it done just wasn't effective. I was still behaving badly. Speaking of behaving badly, I got on the scales this morning, uh, fully clothed, 79 kilograms, so that's about 171 pounds. So I guess without the clothing, I'd probably be 168. Really want to be down to 160 pounds by the time I leave Australia. The second column, a God that's unconditionally loving if we come to believe the old God doesn't exist anymore, then we just have a peaceful life. We don't have to act out anymore. So it's coming to believe in all areas, but it's coming to believe as well, primarily in the area of our relationship with God. 
continue next week with step three. And old belief is God created me a sex addict. I have attraction to men. I believe I might be gay, and he wants me to overcome that. No, overcome it. He wants me to be okay with that. He wants me to be okay with it and accepting. Right. Correct? Yeah. Is that belief helping you stay sober or not? That's the question. Is that belief helping you stay sober or not? I mean, such a good question. Is that practice? Is that community? Is that friendship? Is that hobby? Is that podcast? Is that YouTube channel? Is that helping you stay sober or not? Such a great bottom line. Just so much common sense in these 12-step programs. Bye-bye.